Welcome to episode 277 of the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. If you want to burn fat, gain energy, and enhance your health by changing when you eat, not what you eat, with no calorie counting, then this show is for you. I'm Melanie Avalon, biohacker and author of What Win Wine. Lose weight and feel great with paleo-style meals, intermittent fasting, and wine. And I'm here with my co-host, Cynthia Thurlow, nurse practitioner and author of Intermittent Fasting Transformation, the 45-day program for women to lose stubborn weight, improve hormonal health, and slow aging. For more on us, check out ifpodcast.com, melanieavalon.com, and cynthiathurlow.com. Please remember, the thoughts and opinions on this show do not constitute medical advice or treatment, and no doctor-patient relationship is formed. So, pour yourself a mug of black coffee, a cup of tea, or even a glass of wine, if it's that time, and get ready for the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. Hi friends, I'm about to tell you how to get my favorite electrolytes for free, plus special announcement, Element's new chocolate medley is here. So when you think electrolytes, you might think summer and hot times and needing to stay hydrated. But did you know that hydration is actually super important in cold weather as well? There's an idea out there that cold weather reduces our hydration needs. That's not true. So in the cold, two main things can actually increase our metabolic rate. You may be working harder, tramping through the snow, and you can be wearing cumbersome winter clothing that can actually raise your energy needs by 10 to 20%. And as your metabolic rate raises, your sweat rate raises, and you need to replace those fluids with electrolytes. You also lose more water when it's cold through your breath. That's because cold temperatures contain significantly less water than hot temperatures, aka it's drier outside. When you breathe in that cold, dry air, your respiratory system actually acts like a humidifier so that your body can be warm and humid like it likes to be. Of course, that drains your hydration reserves as well. One study actually found that respiratory water loss after a full day of activity nearly doubled at freezing temperatures compared to the 70s. On top of that, when you're cold, you actually become less thirsty, possibly from blood vessel constrictions in the cold, which can trick the body into thinking the blood volume is higher than it is. In other words, it's cold out there. You probably need hydration. And electrolytes are so key for all of these cellular processes in your body, all of your energy production. It all requires electrolytes, but it can be hard to find electrolytes, which are clean, without unnecessary fillers, and which you can feel good about drinking. That's why I love Element. There's a reason I'm obsessed with it. There's a reason all you guys are as well. And like I said, I'm so excited because Element's new chocolate medley is here featuring chocolate mint, chocolate chai, and chocolate raspberry. And this is a limited time, so you definitely want to stock up on these now. Plus, you can get a free gift with purchase when you purchase that chocolate medley or other Element electrolytes. That's right, you can get a free sample pack, eight single serving packets for free with any Element order. It's a great way to try all eight flavors or share Element with a salty friend. You can get yours at drinklmnt.com slash ifpodcast. That's drinklmnt.com slash ifpodcast. By the way, those chocolates in that chocolate medley make delicious hot chocolates. And of course, as always, Element has a no questions asked refund, so you have nothing to lose. So go to drinklmnt.com slash podcast to get your free electrolytes.
One more thing before we jump in. Did you know that common ingredients found in skincare and makeup products can actually disrupt your endocrine system? These endocrine disruptors are a silent threat that can have significant impact on your health, including something that is very important to me, fertility. Your skin is your body's largest organ and what you put on it matters. Endocrine disruptors are chemicals that interfere with the natural hormonal communication in the body. It also matters during pregnancy. And that's one of the reasons I pay close attention to what I put on my skin while being pregnant. Studies have shown that exposure to endocrine disruptors can affect both male and female fertility. For women, these disruptors can lead to irregular menstrual cycles, ovulation issues, and even polycystic ovarian syndrome or PCOS. In men, they can reduce sperm quality and quantity, making it even more challenging to conceive. But it's not just about fertility. When it comes to fat loss, one of the reasons that endocrine disruptors can get in the way of fat loss is because a lot of our toxins are actually stored in our fat. It's a way that our bodies protect us from those toxins. These toxic compounds can even work synergistically, amplifying their harmful effects and making it that much harder to shed unwanted body fat. All of these reasons are why I am obsessed with a company called Beauty Counter. The founder actually started the company when she learned about the potential dangers of toxic chemicals and their link to health issues, specifically miscarriages and infertility. While pregnant, I make sure to only use Beauty Counter products. It's one of the only makeup lines that is officially recommended from the Environmental Working Group. What really sets Beauty Counter apart is their unwavering commitment to protecting us, the consumer consumers from the hidden dangers that lurk in conventional beauty products. Beauty Counter goes above and beyond, rigorously screening every single ingredient that goes into their products, ensuring that they are safe, clean, and free from harmful toxins. They're not just a beauty brand, they're a movement for change, advocating for stronger regulations in the beauty industry. With Beauty Counter, I know that I can trust that the skincare and makeup that I use are not only effective, but also safe for me and my family. They have skincare lines for every skin type, as well as so many other incredible products. I absolutely love their overnight resurfacing peel. It's my favorite way to get anti-aging benefits in a skincare product. The makeup is absolutely amazing. I have tried alternative beauty products in the past and none of them truly performed. But with Beauty Counter, the foundation is so amazing. It makes me feel like my skin can breathe and it looks so dewy and beautiful. You can shop with me at beautycounter.com slash Vanessa Spina. New customers can use the code CLEANFORALL20 for 20% off their first order. Beautycounter.com slash Vanessa Spina. All right, friends, now back to the show. Hi, everybody, and welcome. This is episode number 277 of the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. I'm Melanie Avalon, and I'm here with Cynthia Thurlow. Hey, Melanie, how are you? I'm good. I feel like it's been such a long time since we've talked. <laughs> I know. You know, business travel is wonderful, but it's also hard to kind of fit in all the things alongside that. And so, you know, thank you for letting me have the bandwidth because I didn't get home. I had four hours of sleep when I got home on Sunday and probably would not have been as mentally sharp and acute as I am right now after having a good amount of sleep for a few days in a row. I love doing business events and certainly KetoCon was fantastic. 
but three solid days of an introvert trying to pretend to be an extrovert is challenging. Yes, we were just talking about this, our common introvertedness. I'm really curious about KetoCon. Okay, had you attended KetoCon before? I had not. I had not. And, and I was asked to, to keynote the first day, which was really cool. And so many of my close friends in the low-carb keto community were there. And so it was really nice to you know see people in person again and connect with so many people that have been impacted by this podcast, my other podcast and the book. And so, you know, to me, I I was very heartfelt. I really feel like I I do fervently believe that the keto community is one of the most supportive communities in which events that I've spoken to. And so, you know, for me, it's a lot of connecting with friends and meeting people. And, you know, Austin's a great foodie city. So it was nice to participate in that. And, you know, for me, so much of it's reconnecting with our roots, you know, really having the ability to connect with people that we impact their lives so profoundly. And that's really a blessing. And so as hard as it is for me as an introvert to spend three days being, you know, going from full day events and into, you know, parties or events in the evening, I always remind myself how incredibly fortunate I am to have a platform to stand on to be able to advocate for women And so, you know, I come home and then I'm, you know, I can't talk for like two days. I'm just so wiped out. But I really had a great time. Minus the, you know, I I think they were having some massive heat surge while I was there. It was like 105. And they would talk about it being humid. But you and I know what humid weather is like. It didn't feel humid to me as an East Coaster. It just felt like an oven. Like it genuinely felt like an oven. And that was fascinating. Like I was like, how do people deal with like this heat being so intense and it's hot all day long. It's not like you get up in the morning and it's 20 degrees cooler. It was like an oven 24 seven. And so that I found utterly fascinating. That's one of the things I love about traveling is just experiencing, you know, new weather, new people, new things. Did you meet any podcast listeners from this show? Not specifically, although it was interesting. I kept having people introduce me as this is Cynthia Thurlow. She has her own podcast and then she also has a podcast with Melanie. And so definitely there's some recognizableness within that community of individuals who were aware of IF podcast. And so... Oh, cool. Like other people would say that when they were... Yeah. That's fun. Yeah. No. And it's nice. I mean, it's nice to have that added side. Like when I would talk about the fact, like I I have my own podcast and then I co-host a podcast with a good friend of mine. And people would oftentimes say like, you know, did you and Melanie just, had you been friends up until that point? I was like, yeah, we've been friends for three years. So it was very serendipitous when this opportunity came up. And, you know, to me, podcasting is one of the best ways for people to get to know you and to get to know, you know, what you stand for and uh, what you advocate for. And so, as you and I always say, you know, podcasting is some of the best networking you can do. And, for me, meeting a lot of people that I had been on their podcast or they had been on mine was really neat. And as an example, Dr. Gabrielle Line and I are good friends and we text multiple times a week and talk on the phone, much like you and I do. And then meeting like Sean Baker and, you know, Sean Baker, for anyone who doesn't know, he's a six foot five, 225 pound, just this massive orthopedic surgeon who is this gentle giant. I mean, it was so enjoyable to meet him in person, just a really nice low-key guy who's changing the narrative about meat and, you know, certainly anti-inflammatory diets. And so to me, it's always a blessing when the person that you think someone is ends up being exactly how they are. Oh, I love that. 
Yeah. For listeners, he's like the carnivore guy. You've had him on your show as well, right? I have. I have. And and I've been on his podcast and he's just very low key, which I think is really refreshing because there are people in the health and wellness space that are loud and obnoxious. Thankfully, not a lot of them, but there are people that are out there that, you know, there's nothing subtle about their message. And, and I recognize we have to make space for everyone and, you know, everyone may have a different approach. I tend to have a softer approach. But to me, it, it's really nice when you meet someone in person and they're they're as they appear to be. That that's how I would say it. And and certainly Ben Azadi and Dr. Anna Kabeca and Mindy Peltz and I mean so many people, you know, so many people that I know in that space. It was really, really fortuitous and nice. I mean, it it's just a nice community of humans. Everyone that was there, really, you know, a great lineup of professionals. There's actually someone I was thinking about for you, for your podcast, who I'm bringing online, Chris Palmer. Uh, he's a Harvard MD, but he talks about metabolic health in relationship to mental health and has a book coming out this fall. And when I was talking to him, I was like, oh my gosh, I absolutely need to bring you on because that's a totally different angle that not a lot of people are talking about. And so there were some really cool people there. I do remember interviewing Sean Baker because I remember I'd interviewed Paul Saladino a few times. He's very intense in his messaging. I remember interviewing Sean Baker and thinking, okay, this will be the approachable episode for people who like might, you know, less intense, like more welcoming, more casual in general and just approachable. I really like him. Yeah. And that's, I mean, I'll never forget having a conversation with JJ Virgin recently. And she was saying how important it is for people to remain humble. She's like, no matter someone's success, no one wants to be around an asshat. And I was like, that is true. That is so true. That's my PC way of saying, you know, you know, kind of contextualizing that some people get really famous and they're not particularly nice individuals. So it, it's it's always a pleasure when you can connect with people and find out that what you see online is really how they are. I agree. Can I tell you a really funny story that happened to me? <laughs> So I saw this past weekend Blue Man Group. Have you seen Blue Man Group before? I have not, but I know what they are. So I was really excited to see them. And I sat in the front row, which was really exciting. I remember thinking, because I I launched my magnesium the night before, actually. So that was like launch day of the magnesium. And I was thinking, man, I wish I could somehow get my magnesium to the Blue Men because... (laughs) Because I'm sure it could help with like their, you know, their like drumming and their intense activity and everything. And if listeners would like to learn more about the magnesium, actually last week, episode 276 was with Cynthia and Scott, our partner at MD Logic. So check out that interview. So that was like a little baby goal, but I wasn't going to actively pursue it. I saw the show. I sat in the front row. It was fabulous. I went home, posted about the group on my stories, and then I followed some of the members one of one of the blue men from that show DM'd me and said like, hey, I saw you in the front row. And I had been posting about the magnesium. So he said, hey, I saw you in the front row. It's nice to see that you're a magnesium fan. My mother just sent me this to help with like the drumming and everything. And it was by Optimizer's Magnesium. <laughs> I was like, what are the odds? So then I was like, oh, that's actually the magnesium that I was like, they used to be our sponsor. And that's actually 
you know, how I sort of formulated mine based on theirs, taking what I liked from theirs and just making it a little bit better for like for me personally. So I sent the whole group some of my magnesium. You manifested that. That's awesome. Isn't that hysterical? I love it. That's serendipitous. I know. Like what are the odds that what do I get in my DM box, but a picture of my optimizer's magnesium from the blue men? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I mean, manifestation. So my 14-year-old hates that word. He's he's very black and white. And so I was trying to explain to him, you know, like last week, like I had shared with you, you know, I put someone on a vision board four years ago and their team reached out and, and wanted me to come on the podcast. And I, it was like really one of those moments that manifestation is really powerful. And so, you know, when you talk about, you know, you were thinking about, you wanted to find a way to interact with them and then it ended up happening. And so I, I think for all of us listening, you know, have a vision board, have something that you or a goal or something that's very concrete and, you know, you can make it happen. And the fact that I specifically was thinking like, oh, how do I get some magnesium in their hands? And then literally came to me. <laughs> so yeah, but I do re- really recommend them, by the way, for anybody who has not seen that show. It was really fabulous. I really like theater. I feel like the past two years has really thrown that off because we, we used to live in Washington, D.C. and we went to the Kennedy Center and my kids grew up seeing theater. And you know, I grew up seeing the theater in New York City. And so for me, I feel like we took this two-year pause, which was such a bummer. We really get some great performances in the Washington, D.C. area. And so I was actually saying to the kids, I was like, maybe we should do Hamilton, but we'll do that in New York. I think that would be awesome, like in the in the fall. Hamilton is amazing. You will love it. You know, it's like they're old enough now. We can trek up there and see that and enjoy it and come back because now we're in a smaller city and the statistical likelihood we're going to have Hamilton come here is probably a little smaller. So. Yeah, I absolutely, absolutely love that show. I'd be excited to hear if you do see it. Yeah, I'm, I have it on my list of things. I'm like, okay, the things that will happen are... See Hamilton. <laughs> and actually, I just realized I probably should do a quick plug. The blue man guy who messaged me about the magnesium, his name was Steven, and he actually has a very cool company. Um, I'll put a link to it in the show notes. It's called studiowint.com. So it's studio, W-E-N-D-T.com. And he actually melts down jewelry and makes it into new jewelry. That's like very cool. So if people are looking for unique custom jewelry. You can order direct, I think, from him, or you can get your own stuff melted down and remade. So I will put a link to that in the show notes. In any case, shall we jump into questions for today? Absolutely. All right. So to start things off, we have a question from Holly and the subject is cholesterol conundrum. And Holly says, hi, Melanie and Cynthia. I just heard the big news yesterday and am saddened that Jen will no longer be on the podcast, but I'm so excited to hear that Cynthia is joining you. I am such a super fan of you ladies. I just finished Cynthia's latest book and learned so much. I have been intermittent fasting since December 2019 and have lost close to 35 pounds overall and am so happy with this lifestyle. I had the pleasure of being a guest on Jen's Intermittent Fasting Stories podcast as well episode 153. Anyways, to my question, I recently had regular labs completed. And although my primary doc said that all my levels are normal, I am concerned about my cholesterol. My total cholesterol was 217 and LDL was 132, HDL was 70, 
and Triggs was 76. The last time I had labs was September 2020, and my numbers were total cholesterol 205, LDL 124, HDL 66, and Triggs 74. Also, my A1C was 5.6% in 2022 and 5.4% in 2020. I'm concerned because heart disease runs in my family. My grandfather passed away in his early 50s from a sudden heart attack, and my father passed away at 72 due to heart disease. My question is, should I be concerned with the numbers creeping up? If so, what are some of the best ways to improve the numbers? A low-fat diet, less saturated fat, and more unsaturated? I know not all fats are bad, and I'm just confused as to what would be the best fats for me in this situation, or is just trying to avoid saturated fats and inflammatory oils best? I love more direction, particularly on how Cynthia might advise clients in similar situations. Not sure if this matters, but for background, I am 49 years young, 5'2", 115 pounds. I work out seven days per week, but nothing too strenuous, mainly walking and strength training as well. I do eat relatively healthy, such as whole foods with some dairy, such as cheese, no milk, and eggs. I do love red meat, but maybe that might be an area to tweak, such as eating less red meat and increased seafood or lean meats. Thanks so much for the both of you for all you do, and I look forward to hopefully hearing back soon. A sincere super fan, Holly. Oh, well, Holly, thank you for the very detailed question, and congratulations on the progress you've made. That's amazing so far. When you listed your labs, I didn't see anything that looked statistically significant between the labs from 2020 and currently. You know, your, your total cholesterol looks okay. You know, LDL, the only thing that I would say, and I don't think an LDL of 132 is bad at all, is that if you're really curious to know, you can look for an advanced lipid analysis. Some internists and primary care providers are savvy with these types of labs. Others are not. When we're looking at particle size, it actually breaks down the LDL to look at whether or not you have light, fluffy, buoyant LDL, or if you have a predominant of small, dense, atherogenic, those that are more prone to producing plaque and inflammation. You know, if we really look at what drives cardiovascular disease and and heart attacks, and we know women present statistically very differently, men typically present with the classic crushing chest pain, left arm pain. Women may have symptoms as subtle as fatigue or shortness of breath. I'm sure your primary care provider is monitoring you carefully. I'm not sure if you've actually had a baseline stress test. That that may be something to discuss with them. But when I start looking at family, a strong family history, certainly our grandparents' generation, a lot of them smoked. And so that can be a major risk factor for developing cardiovascular disease. I also think a great deal about insulin resistance. So an A1C is helpful to a point, but I actually order less of those now and order a great deal more targeted lab work like a fasting insulin. This is a test that's covered by insurance. I see a lot of perimenopausal women and at 49 years young, and I'm glad that you use the word young, 49 years of age, you are close to menopause, if not already there. Average age in the United States is 51. And we do become more insulin resistant as we get older. And that has a lot to do with the fluctuating and and reduction in estradiol, which is our predominant form of estrogen prior to going through menopause. So I think at a minimum, you need a, a fasting insulin drawn. I would want to be looking at your, you know, your fasting blood sugars, you know, seeing the net impact of 
your meals. You didn't really identify if you prioritize protein. And certainly in perimenopausal, menopausal females, it's absolutely critical that you are prioritizing protein for a number of different reasons. And I know a lot of everyone hears me talk about this a lot. The role of sarcopenia, which is muscle loss with aging, can also contribute to insulin resistance. So as you're losing muscle, you are losing this metabolically active tissue. And so if you're not getting sufficient amounts of protein in your diet, and I can't, I can't tell from what you've identified here, animal-based protein is going to be superior to plant-based protein in terms of the amino acid composition. And I just listened to a lecture with Dr. Gabrielle Lyon at KetoCon last week. And I love that she was providing some context of what her recommendations are. And so no less than 100 grams of protein a day as a female. And then also no more than 30 to 40 grams of carbohydrate per meal. That is important, especially in a middle-aged person. So not really fully understanding what types of protein you are gravitating towards. I think that's also very important, you know, getting the additional labs, fasting insulin, inflammatory markers like high-sensitivity CRP, really looking at homocysteine, really, really looking more deeply at your LDL particle size, which I would imagine would probably be quite good. And then I think about other hormones, you know, thyroid hormone, sex hormones, really digging deep, IGF-1, which is a clinical marker for growth hormone, how that is going on as well. I think I would want to get more information. I don't think you're, from what you're describing, I don't think it sounds like you're doing anything wrong, but I do think with your your baseline family history, a baseline treadmill stress test, I know a lot of clinicians and cardiologists are leaning towards chemical stress tests or stress thalliums, which I think are completely reasonable, meaning they can put you on a treadmill and also you know give you a, a specific tracer to see what's going on with blood flow to the heart is certainly very reasonable. But I, I would think from my perspective, I would really want to make sure that your your insulin sensitivity is optimized. You're not a very big person, but I do see some degree of insulin resistance, even in smaller, more petite women. And so I, I think, you know, looking at things from a very comprehensive perspective would allow us to be able to give more targeted recommendations. So what I'm saying is, I think you're doing a lot of really good things. We need more information, more labs. I'd love to know what your macro breakdown is. I love that you're already omitting inflammatory seed oils, so lots of protein, right types of healthy fats, optimizing your carbohydrate intake, and that really is something that is a very powerful N of one. So if you're not using a glucometer or continuous glucose monitor, I would also advocate that we have a sense of what your blood sugar response is to your your food intake as well. What do you think, Melanie? I thought that was extremely comprehensive and fabulous. Yeah, just some quick comments. So for listeners, they might benefit from listening to my interview with Azure Grant. She does a lot of work with ultradian rhythms, which are 24-hour rhythms in the body. A lot of her work was used to develop work with Oura Ring, so that's why I had her on the show. But she has a really fascinating study where they, and it was a small study, I thought it was very telling, where they looked at, I don't remember how many people were in it. It wasn't that many, but they basically tested their cholesterol levels, kind of like we do with a CGM, testing our blood sugar all day, but they did it with their cholesterol all day. And every single participant in the group fluctuated wildly with their cholesterol levels based on what time, like just the moment to moment, kind of like we do with our blood sugar. And actually every single person in the study at one point had one of their markers cross into a risk factor category, which I thought was just really fascinating. So basically the takeaway is not not to be concerned about your cholesterol. It's that Holly's 
test right there was just a snapshot of that one moment. And so it could have been different even within that day significantly. And so it's hard to even know how different it is from the two years prior that she tested because just of how much it can change. So there's that factor. Hi friends. An incredible fasting aid is coffee. Yes, I am all about the coffee. I am a huge fan of its health benefits as well as how it can support your fast and really help with energy and fat burning. And I have a big announcement. The brand of coffee that I have been drinking for an entire decade now, I am no longer drinking. There's some drama, there's some science, and I'm about to tell you how to get a discount on my new favorite coffee. So I've been drinking the coffee formerly known as Dave Asprey's Bulletproof Coffee for literally a decade. I do not drink it now, so this is not a Bulletproof Coffee commercial, but I started drinking it because I so trusted Dave and his obsession in creating mold-free coffee because moldy coffee beans is a huge problem and a lot of people can get health issues, brain fog, and crash after coffee because of the mold control contamination. Dave has been talking about this for so long, so I really trusted him and I would drink Bulletproof Coffee, which I absolutely loved and loved that it was mold-free. Then there was some drama. Dave sort of got kicked out of Bulletproof. He might be going back. There's a lot of stuff going on with that. Follow him on Instagram if you want to learn more about that. He even talked about it at the recent biohacking conference. But in any case, (laughs) drama aside, he can no longer speak to Bulletproof Coffee as to whether or not it is mold-free. And he ended up making a coffee even better than Bulletproof Coffee, and it is called Danger Coffee, and friends, I love it. It's the first coffee that is not only mold-free, but actually can help you remineralize. Yep, that's right. Danger Coffee contains a patent-pending formula that actually remineralizes your body with more than 50 trace minerals, nutrients, and electrolytes. On top of that, it is super clean. I know people like to see organic labels. Friends, I have learned so much about the certification industry. And honestly, the best of the best is finding people that you trust who do extensive testing and third-party certification. That's what I do with my Avalon X supplements. And that's what Dave does with Danger Coffee. So with Danger Coffee, they use a process that far exceeds government and industry standards. And it is third-party lab tested. So you can rest assured it is free of mold toxins. As for the flavor, Dave selected these hand-picked farm direct beans for their quality, their superb flavor, and their elevated performance. I love the taste of it. It's much richer and more nuanced than Bulletproof Coffee. It's honestly one of the best coffees I've ever tasted, and it's so exciting to know that when I'm drinking it, I'm actually helping to remineralize my body. So that's right. If you want your coffee to contain antioxidants, anti-inflammatories, micronutrients, and help optimize your fasting, you want Danger Coffee. And of course, I have a discount for you guys. You can go to melanieavalon.com slash dangercoffee and use the coupon code MELANIEAVALON to get 10% off. Again, that is melanieavalon.com slash dangercoffee with the coupon code MELANIEAVALON for 10% off. This is my favorite coffee. Like I said, it takes some really good coffee and convincing biohacking health reasons to break me from my 10-year decade bulletproof coffee habit. But sometimes you just got to upgrade. And by the way, this would make epic presents for people. This can just become your go-to present. Not only will people love it, but you'll be helping their health as well. Everybody wins. MelanieAvalon.com slash Danger Coffee with the coupon code Danger Coffee. How do you feel, Cynthia, about the HDL to trig ratio? Do you 
Or is it trigged HDL? Wait, which what's the order of it? Usually trigged HDL, typically. How do you feel about that? I mean, I, I kind of eyeball, meaning like I'll look at the triglycerides, so 76 to 70. And then I decide if I need to actually make that calculation. A lot of the insulin-resistant, obese, overweight patients I used to work with would sometimes have triglycerides in the three or four hundreds. And then they would have very low logic HDL, so, you know, 20, 30. And then I would be forced to calculate it to really hone in on them that, you know, there's really a lot of work to do. But when I see them at a normalized ratio, sometimes what I'll, I'll look at is, you know, the fasting insulin to kind of have a sense of, you know, how much work we need to do. I'll, I'll give an example. I recently had a woman talk a lot about weight loss resistance, which, heck, so many of us deal with that, right? It's very common. You know, her primary was only doing fasting glucose and A1C. And of course, they quote unquote looked fine. And I said, you know, ask for a fasting insulin, just ask for one lab. And so they did a fasting insulin and it was 12. I said, well, now we know, you know, fasting insulin's up, then you are going to struggle to lose weight. And so we worked very targetedly. Did I just make up a word? Targetedly? Yeah, targetedly. We, we made some very targeted recommendations so that she could improve her insulin sensitivity. And three months later, when she retested, it was within normal limits. So I, I think on a lot of levels, when I'm looking at labs, it's kind of big picture to decide like, what do we need to do next? But yes, in a lot of instances, you're looking at that comparison of triglycerides to HDL to really get a sense of is someone really metabolically healthy or are they not? And they have work to do. Awesome. And then I wanted to comment, we were talking a little bit before this, but your comment about the the A1C, it's interesting because I actually, of course, I mentioned Peter Atia on every episode, um, was listening to an episode recently where he was going on and on about the problems with HbA1c and how basically a big factor in it can be how fast your red blood cells turn over. So basically, if they're turning over faster, you might have a seemingly better A1c, but you actually might still have issues. Whereas if you have longer living red blood cells, that gives them a longer time to become glycated. And so then you have a higher A1c, but it might not actually be telling about your what's actually happening with your blood sugar levels, which is why you know, like Cynthia said, wearing a continuous glucose monitor, for example, might be something to check out. And for those who would like to try out a continuous glucose monitor, Nutrisense is a great option for that. So we actually do have a link for them. So if you go to nutrisense.io slash ifpodcast, the coupon code ifpodcast will get you $30 off any of their programs, subscription programs, I believe. So that's definitely a great resource for listeners. The only other thing I was going to comment on was that she was asking a lot about the types of fats and things like that. And Cynthia did comment on that. The cholesterol thing is something that it's funny. I haven't had an episode on it yet, like dedicated to it yet on the Melanie Avalon biohacking podcast. Cause I feel like I've just been like passively gathering information for years. Dave Feldman, right? And listeners will be humored to have me say this. I, I almost got a lipidologist. To, like there was this certification that we could take and some of the NPs and MDs did. And I got very close to doing it and then I opted not, which was a good decision. But so I, I can very much nerd out on lipids. Dave is next level. I had a conversation with Dave at an event in Salt Lake City. And about 15 minutes into the conversation, I was like, time out. You're way beyond like any conceptual concept I had ever known. And I understand, and I do understand things at a very deep level. 
he's next level. Like he's an engineer with a very fresh perspective. I really, I think you would completely love nerding out with him about cholesterol and the lipid hypothesis and lean mass hyper responders. It's fascinating. Where does he exist? If it can even be said succinctly, like where does he exist in the, you know, people on like carnivore diets or low carb diets who have like really high LDL levels and say it's not a problem. Does he have thoughts on that very basic idea? Yes. We, we actually spoke about an individual that we both know who has very, very high LDL while on a carnivore diet. And, you know, he himself, and I I witnessed him eating multiple times over the weekend, he's definitely carnivore-ish, low-carb, ketogenic in his kind of approach. And that works really well for him. But he had some interesting insights. And he's doing a lot of research, which I think most importantly, he's changing the narrative for clinicians. And he's doing it in a way that is generating a great deal of high-quality research And, you know, bravo to the engineers of the world. They have just very unique angles. I love that. I'm definitely gonna have to connect with him. Yeah, I'll be happy to do an intro. He's lovely. Thank you. I love that. So my like just very not super informed, but just from the, I feel like I've been like passively absorbing information regarding cholesterol through osmosis for years, like trying to just build up my my bank of thoughts about it because I'm very much torn about a lot of the debates surrounding it. Just like the saturated fat one, for example, I know there's often like people in the low carb and carnivore sphere will often say that it doesn't matter and all the saturated fat. and <laughs> But it does seem like that does seem like one thing where if you do switch saturated fats for, you know, monounsaturated fats, for example, or more unsaturated fats, that it possibly can have a favorable effect on those levels. I'm not going to ponder what that actually means, but I think that is something that is seen. So it's definitely something that people can try. That's a very vague approach to that. I think it's important to find balance. You know, there are people who tend to be, you know, more focused on saturated fat found in animal meats and they don't eat as many of the, and rarely will you hear me use this term, plant-based fats, but I think they're equally important. And so for me personally, I do better as an example with leaner meat, but I can do fats in the plant-based variety and digest them really well. And so maybe doing a little bit of experimentation to see what makes you feel good, I think is completely reasonable, but not to fear fat. That is unfortunate that we have propagated that as a medical community for a long, long time. I think because there was that fat fear, then there was a counter regulatory response that was very intense in the other direction, which was like all the saturated fat and all the butter forever and ever and pounds of it. And I don't know that that is necessarily the best thing either. (laughs) Maybe, maybe there's just a more nuanced approach to everything. Well, and I I agree with you, Melanie. I think that one of the mistakes I see women in particular making is, you know, their husband does keto, their boyfriend, their significant other, their mom, their dad does keto and loses a bunch of weight. And it's not to suggest that a low carb lifestyle is not a good idea. It's how we go about doing it you know, fat is calorically more dense than protein and carbs. And so it's just important to understand that a whole avocado, although healthy, yes, has a lot more calories than people realize. And so the quantity of fats that you have to be careful about, it might be that you just measure. Like I always say, I tolerate a quarter of an avocado. 
I'm a 50-year-old woman. I'm okay with that. I measure my nuts. I love macadamia nuts. I measure them out. I measure MCT oil. I measure olive oil. For me personally, because it is easy to overeat, and then all of a sudden you've kind of derailed your best efforts at you know, managing an anti-inflammatory nutrient-dense diet. Exactly. I agree. You know, if people are eating like all whole food space, or I guess even not whole food space, but a lot of times people will be eating a ancestral type diet. But if there's some foods that will, I think, easily encourage weight gain, it's nuts and dairy products. Absolutely. Slippery slope. Yep. So, okay, Holly, hopefully that was helpful. Shall we go on to our next question? Absolutely. This is Karen. The subject is cassava flour. Hi, Melanie and Cynthia. I've been listening to you for three years now and love every episode. I am a 63-year-old retired OB nurse. Yay. And since I retired, I started watching my weight, sugars, and flours due to increased weight gain. I have been intermittent fasting and in the beginning lost weight, but now have regained 15 pounds and can't seem to lose anything. I still do 16 to 18 hour fasts, clean and unclean, wore a CGM for a month to see if I have sugar problems, had blood work, and I'm not insulin resistant. I use the sweeteners that are safe and oils that are not toxic. I exercise three times a week at the gym, do walking and weightlifting, and I don't overdo it. I feel frustrated and I get confused about foods. Recently, I've been trying different grain-free pasta and found one by Jovial made with cassava flour, but heard that it might be a toxic grain. I would like both your opinions on it and sorghum pasta as well. I have lymphocytic colitis and I'm supposed to be doing lectin-free. I bought Dr. Gundry's books and try to follow lectin-free as much as I can. I love pasta and have tried zoodle noodles, but I just don't like them. I know this is a lot to talk about. Thanks for all the great research and work you both do. I look forward to listening to you at the gym and have learned so much from your podcast. Thanks and good luck with your careers, Karen. All right, Karen. So thank you so much for your question. So I did a deep dive into all of these different flowers. It's funny, there's so many alternative flowers in the grain-free world. So the go-to ones are usually coconut and almond flour, I find, but there are these these other different ones. So cassava, I learned so much about cassava. Do you ever cook with cassava, Cynthia? I do because I have a kiddo with a nut allergy. And so I've had to balance finding gluten-free flours that are nut-free. And so I think cassava flour, especially autos, is the flour that for me most mimics what wheat flour does when you bake with it. And so we've had a lot of success, but it's not low carb. So let me let me just make that clear. It's not a low carb option, but it's it's a nice option to have. It's funny, you basically just hit all the points I had about it. <laughs> they were that um it's paleo, but it's also AIP and it's nut free. So check. Closest in texture and properties to all regular all-purpose flour. You just said that. Check. And then that it's not low carb, that it's actually pretty high carb. It's actually fun fact. The third highest yield of carbohydrates per person in many parts of the world, following sugar cane and sugar beets. It's also low oxalate, so that's a nice benefit. And the toxin I guess she's referring to is it has a toxin in it called cyanogenic glycosides. And those are actually also found in almonds and spinach, but I believe they're addressed in how it is processed or cooked, but I'm guessing that's what she's referring to. It sounds like it's a good flower. And, and you know, Cynthia, 
has used it as well, but it is high carb to keep in mind. I didn't realize that tapioca starch is actually made from cassava as well. Yeah. And it's it's interesting. Obviously I have teenage boys who, and they're both very athletic and lean, so they can manage the carbohydrate influx. Like I made banana bread with cassava flour. And then I basically told my family they need to eat it or I'm going to chuck it because I can't eat it. It's just too, just too high carb for me. But, but I think that, you know, it's certainly an option for people and, and, you know, those, those people that are out there that need a gluten-free option for sure. Oh, and then also interesting, something I didn't know was that arrowroot starch. I always thought arrow, I learned so much, Karen, with this question. I always thought arrowroot starch was like, that it was a thing. So like arrowroot was a plant, but it's not. It's actually a combination of different things, one of which is tapioca starch. That blew my mind. I was like, oh, okay. (laughs) But then the other one she asked about was sorghum. And that actually is a grain, but it's gluten-free and it's low glycemic, higher in fiber and protein. Have you tried sorghum? I have not. I have not. I'll be honest. And and this may may be controversial, but when I decided to go gluten free, I found I didn't miss pasta. My mother is Italian; she would probably be disappointed to hear that. I really don't miss pasta, and you know, I, I've been able to kind of get away with spaghetti squash and zoodles. I generally sometimes miss bread, but for me, I haven't tried a, I haven't tried all the varieties of gluten free pastas that are out there because I I just I, I think for me, I just got more interested in feeling better. And I just don't do well with the alternatives. I don't feel good. I know it messes up my blood sugar. And as I said, uh, when I was talking about being around like-minded people at this event last week, I was like, it's nice to be around people where I don't have to explain myself. So I I think each one of us have to decide what works for us and what impacts our blood sugar. And, you know, obviously finding healthier alternatives of things that you really love that you're no longer eating. Probably a long explanation, but it's an honest one. Like my favorite meal pre-dietary changes was definitely like Alfredo pasta. I just couldn't eat it now probably because I think I wouldn't digest it well. It would just sit in me. I have used, when it comes to the flours, I've used the coconut flour and the almond flour for making baked goods type things, but I haven't used these ones that she talked about. Cynthia, did you say that you looked up some options? I did. Capello's is one that's made with almond flour. So if you're not oxalate sensitive, that might be an option. It's usually refrigerated and they have pizza crusts and all sorts of pasta options. There were things like hearts of palm, which I've tried. And I can honestly say I've tried it multiple ways in an effort to be able to recommend it. It was just kind of a mushy mess. So that probably wouldn't be my first suggestion. There are some things like chickpea pastas and I'm fervently a believer that the processed food industry is desperately trying to corner the market, continuing to encourage people to eat pasta despite this. I've just come to find that some of the bonza pastas that are made with chickpea flour, some people enjoy them. I just think it requires a degree of flexibility and, and certainly depending on where you are life stage, monitoring your blood sugar response. Because maybe Karen, as an example, can have some chickpea pasta and to be completely 100% fair, I don't know where that falls on the lectin category or not, because that's just not an area of focus of mine. But finding an alternative and maybe keeping the portion small, if that's something you really love and really miss. 
but Capello's because it's almond flour is going to be a lower carb option than many of these other suggestions we've talked about. I actually also really like pumpkin seed flour. I've had that before. There's a one I really like. I think I talked about it when we were talking about vegan protein powder alternatives. Did you ever go through, I went through this phase when I first went low carb and I feel like a lot of people did the shirataki noodles. They smell bad. Like that was, that was something I wrote down in my notes, but I actually like, just like the hearts of palm, the shirataki noodles smell bad. And I can't, I'm one of those people, like if something doesn't smell appealing, I can't eat it. They smell like formaldehyde. Yes. They smell very much like a preservative laden product. And so I, I bought them once, once, and I know people swear by them, but they stunk. And, you know, just like the hearts of palm that was a mushy mess. And so it's hard for me to find something that mimics what pasta seems, what I recall pasta really acting like, but the Capello's in my house has been popular, but my kids are kind of going through this phase as teenagers that they want to be able to eat whatever they want. And so we've had to kind of bring in some organic pasta into the house to appease their desires to still eat gluten-containing pasta. Well, I definitely went through that phase. And like if listeners haven't had it, if you remember like high school lab when you would dissect things and that formaldehyde, that is what they smell like. And it's actually not the noodles. It's what they're preserved in. And I would like, boil. you can boil them and it goes away and you don't taste it. But actually the main problem for me was they literally are just indigestible fiber. So they have no calories and they would just like sit. If I were to eat them now, they would probably sit in me for days. (laughs) That was back when I was like digesting things better. So yes, but thank you for those resources. And also, do we want to comment on the first part of Karen's question? Just her, a little bit, her issues with not losing weight. Weight loss resistance. That's definitely a a common theme. I, I think when you're a menopausal female, you have to change your relationship with your macros and you have to be focused on protein, limiting carbohydrates, right types of healthy fats and the right quantities. I also think about sleep quality, you know, seven, eight hours of high quality sleep. How do you define that? Cold, dark room, waking up rested, being able to fall and stay asleep, stress management. No, it's not a joke. And it's not five minutes of meditation once a week. As a menopausal female, you have to actively work at this. And I speak from personal experience that I know when I'm not doing enough stress management and that has to be an active practice day to day. I think about just inflammation. Karen mentioned that she had worn a CGM. What's your fasting insulin? I mean, these are common themes that I I will respond to, but digging a little deeper because a fasting blood sugar, your fasting blood sugars can still be decent. What's your response to your meals? If your blood sugar is going up 25, 30, 40 points, you're not eating the right combination of macronutrients. And then I also think about gut health and there's no menopausal or perimenopausal woman that I have I have looked at stool samples on that does not have some degree of dysbiosis. Dysbiosis is non-beneficial bacteria in the gut and it's exacerbated by stress. There's no one listening that hasn't experienced more stress in the last two years of our lives. And certainly a nurse uh, had a lot of stress in her, her occupation, but now in, in retirement, maybe not as much but really looking at gut health, do you have a latent infection? And the other thing that I think about are just toxins in general 
that we're exposed to cumulatively throughout our lifetime. So environment, personal care products, food, all can tip over that bucket. So when a woman in perimenopause or menopause is talking about weight loss resistance, you have to get honest with yourself. And sometimes that's a hard thing to do. So it may be you really have to back off on intensely fasting, really making sure that you're eating enough food. I would imagine if you're doing 16 or 18 hour fast that you are very likely getting at least two meals in a day, but are you eating enough protein? Are you eating too many carbs? We can't eat, unfortunately. In middle age, you cannot eat like you did when you were 20. It is a sad fact, but you can't. And so there are many, many variables that I think could be at play. And the unfortunate thing is weight loss resistance is such a common, common problem that when a woman reports this to her internist, GYN, et cetera, sometimes that gets brushed under the rug and you're told it's just the way things are at X age, which I fervently disagree with. But also going back to what I was saying earlier, fasting insulin, what's your thyroid doing? Are you on hormone replacement therapy? No woman should be afraid of replacing hormones. No one. There's a great book. I actually interviewed Dr. Avram Blumming and Dr. Carol Tavares on the podcast. The book is Estrogen Matters. There's a whole generation of women that are scared of taking HRT. There are a whole generation of clinicians that are afraid to prescribe HRT. And there are many, many variables. So I know that was a lot of information, but it just goes to demonstrate that there are many, many factors of why middle-aged women can deal with weight loss resistance. And it really requires diligence and patience and a little bit more digging. I agree with all of that. And yeah, one of the things I look at first, and I think it's the first thing you mentioned was the macros, for example. So because it sounds like she's doing, you know, Dr. Gundry's, which We've both interviewed Dr. Gundry, so we can put links in the show notes to our interviews with him. Actually, maybe that's not the best diet to be following. Like maybe lectin-free isn't where the focus should be, and it should be something else more comprehensive with the food, like the macros, like so like focusing on a higher whole foods protein intake. I often say trying either low carb or low fat. So it might be, especially if she's doing, you know, cassava pasta, for example, it might be that she's at this spot of eating seemingly whole foods and lectin-free, but eating both high carb and high fat together. She could be. And that might be like a combination that's not quite working where you actually need to be doing one or the other. So that's something I really love to focus on, but there's a lot there. Absolutely. I think we have time for one more question. And this comes from Florence and the subject is headaches slash smells. And Florence says, I've been experimenting with time-restricted eating for about 18 months, but after reading Delay Don't Deny and Fast Feast Repeat, I started proper IF in April of this year. Post the 28-day fast start, I've been doing one meal a day, Monday through Friday, and approximately 1410 eating window at the weekend since May, about six weeks now. I never weighed with scales, so I can only go off how my clothes feel and using a tape measure. So far, I've definitely lost a few inches, but post the fast start, I was hoping it would have been a few more. I keep going through as I'm interested in the other health benefits, not just the weight loss or maintenance. Anyway, having binge listened to a lot of your episodes, I think it's probably the wine I drink at the weekend, which is holding me back. But my question today isn't how to lose more inches, although any advice you may have about tweaks I could make to my eating window would be appreciated. My main question is about headaches. I still experience them and I worry that fasting could be causing them. Should I just power through? 
I'm definitely clean fasting and I drink a lot of water, but I worry that other things like smells could be triggering an insulin response, which cause my headaches. For example, the smell of my kids' bagels in the morning or helping the kids at school chop up their dinner at lunch. There's not a lot I can do to avoid smells though, is there? But I do wonder whether I should take supplements in case my headaches are due to a lack of magnesium or something like that. Currently, I take a multivitamin in my eating window as an insurance policy. Other than the headaches, I feel good fasting and I especially find it easy when I'm busy at work. I'm a primary school teacher. I have just as much, if not more energy during the school day, but I will get a slump at lunchtime and when the kids have gone home and I'm reaching for the painkillers more than I'd like. Did I have headaches before IF? Yes, but not as many. Food used to help them go away. Thanks for any advice you're able to give. Best wishes, Florence. All right. Headaches and smells. Cynthia, do you have thoughts? I do. And my thoughts are kind of all over the place. I I think about water and electrolytes, and I would imagine that a teacher probably can't stay as hydrated, ideally, as she would like to be, given the fact she's in front of a classroom of students all day long. I think about where is she in her menstrual cycle, if she's still getting a cycle, because... You know, we know that there is an uptick in propensity for developing headaches, especially as women are, you know, north of 35, north of 40. There's usually a preponderance of more headaches prior to menopause. So it could be cyclical. I also think about, you know, magnesium is a slow muscle relaxant. And so could that be, could it be a tension headache? It doesn't, she doesn't describe what sounds like typical migraine symptoms, and so I, my, my first thought would be hydration and electrolytes, potentially the right formulation of magnesium. I also think about, you know, where she is life stage because we definitely see more women reporting headache symptoms in perimenopause. Again, I don't know how young Florence is heading up into menopause that a lot of women that have had headaches throughout their lifetime, once they go through menopause, they have much less headaches. And then the piece about alcohol, I don't know if per se there's an interrelationship, but I definitely see a lot of weight loss resistance around just alcohol use. And there's a lot of research that's starting to support this as well. Again, life stage is important if you're in perimenopause. The 10 to 15 years preceding menopause, that could be a larger issue. But I think based on what she's suggesting here, it's more that the headaches are of greater concern. How about you? I was going to say that about the electrolytes for sure. And actually Element is a sponsor on today's show. So check out the ad that we ran for them. We have a really great offer for them. They're actually giving a free sample pack with any purchase. So we'll put a link to that in the show notes, but that is at drinklmnt.com forward slash IF podcast. And just a note about that, the unflavored raw one, that's the one that is clean, fast, friendly. All the other ones would be for during your eating window. But yes, I was thinking electrolytes, also thinking magnesium. So my Avalon X magnesium might be a great thing to try. I'm really fascinated by, well, her thoughts that smelling something releases insulin, which causes the headaches. Would that be from a drop in blood sugar that would cause the headaches? Like what would be the mechanism there? Yeah. I mean, could you get a headache when you're hypoglycemic? Absolutely. You know, she did mention that she gets slumps at lunchtime. I don't know if that's preceding or After eating meals, there's definitely things that could precipitate that. The fact that she's sensitive to smells makes me think 
there could be a migraine component to this because I used to have migraines prior to going gluten-free and I was very sensitive to smells. That was oftentimes a little bit of a precursor to when I would develop a headache. I, I think that there's there's probably multiple things. Dehydration is a common reason for developing a headache and you know, hypoglycemia is a common reason for why people can develop headaches. So I think there probably needs to be some experimentation there. Maybe she should not be fasting as long and and see if that improves because she mentions farther down that this wasn't, she wasn't getting as many headaches prior to intermittent fasting. Even something like, like she's having to reach for the, the painkillers a lot, even things like that, there's a lot of potential here to get out of a spiral that's not quite working for you because even with the painkillers, so like there's something causing the headaches, taking the painkillers doesn't really address the root cause. So if we find the root cause, you know, hopefully you could be taking less and less of those. And even painkillers themselves can have a pretty not so good effect on the gut causing intestinal permeability and things like that. And gut health is so connected to everything. So I I definitely think there's a solution and I'm hoping that you can find it. It's interesting. The fact that the food makes it go away to me does say that it might involve either blood sugar issues and or electrolyte issues. Hi friends, I'm about to tell you how to get 10% off my new magnesium supplement. Magnesium is such a crucial mineral in the body. It's involved in over 600 enzymatic processes. Basically everything that you do requires magnesium, including creating energy from your food, turning it into ATP in the mitochondria, boosting your antioxidant system. Magnesium has been shown to help with the creation of glutathione, regulating your blood sugar levels, affecting nerve health, muscle recovery, muscle contractions, supporting cardiovascular health and blood pressure, aiding sleep and relaxation, and so much more. It's estimated that up to two-thirds of Americans do not get the daily recommended levels of magnesium. And on top of that, magnesium deficiencies can often be silent because only 1% of magnesium is actually in our bloodstream. So that might not be reflective of a true magnesium deficiency. Our modern soils are depleted of magnesium. We're not getting it in our diet. That's why it can be so crucial to supplement with magnesium magnesium daily. I wanted to make the best magnesium on the market and that is what magnesium 8 is. It contains eight forms of magnesium in their most absorbable forms so you can truly boost your magnesium levels. It comes with the cofactor methylated B6 to help with absorption as well as chelated manganese because magnesium can actually displace manganese in the body. My Avalon X supplements are free of all problematic fillers including rice which is very very common in a lot of supplements including some popular magnesium supplements on the market. It's tested multiple times for purity and potency and to be free of all common allergens as well as free of heavy metals and mold. And it comes in a glass bottle to help prevent leaching of toxins into our bodies and the environment. Friends, I wanted to make the best magnesium on the market and that is what this magnesium is. You can get magnesium eight at avalonx.us and use the coupon code MelanieAvalon to get 10% off your order. That code will also work on all my supplements, including my first supplement that I made, Serapeptase. You guys, love serapeptase, a proteolytic enzyme created by the Japanese silkworm that breaks down problematic proteins in your body and can help allergies, inflammation, wound healing, clear up your skin, clear brain fog, even reduce cholesterol and amyloid plaque. All of this is at avalonx.us. That coupon code Melanie Avalon will also get you 10% off site-wide from my amazing partner, MD Logic Health. For that, just go to melanieavalon.com slash mdlogic. You can also get on my email list for all of the updates. That's at avalonx.us slash email list. 
and I'll put all this information in the show notes. All right, now back to the show. So hopefully something works, Florence, and you can report back and let us know. Yeah, definitely do. All righty. Well, this has been absolutely wonderful. So a few things for listeners before we go. If you'd like to submit your own questions for the show, you can directly email questions at ifpodcast.com or you can go to ifpodcast.com and you can submit questions there. You can get all of these stuff that we like at ifpodcast.com slash stuff we like. These show notes for today's episode, which will be very helpful because we talked about a lot of things. So there will be links and a full transcript. That'll be at ifpodcast.com slash episode 277. And then you can follow us on Instagram. We are ifpodcast. I am Melanie Avalon. Cynthia is Cynthia underscore Thurlow underscore. And I believe that is all the things. Awesome. Well, another fabulous podcast. Keep all those questions coming. I know. I'm really, really enjoying them. Well, this has been absolutely wonderful. And I will talk to you next week. Sounds great. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. Please remember, everything we discussed on this show does not constitute medical advice and no patient-doctor relationship is formed. If you enjoyed the show, please consider writing a review on iTunes. We couldn't do this without our amazing team. Administration by Sharon Merriman. Editing by Podcast Doctors. Show notes and artwork by Brianna Joyner. Transcripts by Speech Docs. And original theme composed by Leland Cox and recomposed by Steve Saunders. See you next week.